This morning, I want to speak on being marked out for discipleship. So go ahead, open your Bibles. As you can see, it's going to be from the Gospel of Mark. And um, so you're welcome to open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, you know, I'm a teacher, so I'm going to teach also. I'm going to say a few things generally about the Gospels. And then specifically, we are going to see a very important characteristic of the Gospel of Mark. Are you ready with the Gospel of Mark? Just to remind you that there are four Gospels. There are four Gospels, and Jesus is the centerpiece of the four Gospels. Now, this is important for us to remember when we are reading the four Gospels. There are many things in the four Gospels, but more important than anything else is that Jesus is a centerpiece of the four Gospels. But the other thing that we notice is that the church decided when, the, when it was going on in the third century to put the New Testament together, there were options. By that time, all the four Gospels and even other Gospels had been written. So what do you do with this? Do you keep all four when the New Testament writings had to be put together? And uh, there was, it, that was not an easy decision. Please remember, by that time, different groups of people were reading different Gospels. And also, um, also, some people thought, maybe why not we have an amalgam of all the four Gospels? So there was a guy called Tatian. Uh, you may remember this from our Luke seminar when I did. Tatian wrote something called the Dia Tesseron. Dia Tessa means through the four. What he did was he took the Gospels, originally written in Greek, translated them into Syriac, and then put them all together in one Gospel, mixed them all together. Now, you can imagine doing something like that would have taken a lot of effort and a lot of time, maybe years. Anyone who tries to write something, you know, it is not easy. Writing is very difficult, even if you are a very disciplined person. And so here was his work there in Syria. But the church still would have thanked him for his work. But the church felt that is not the best way to mix them up. So the church rather decided not to have one of them only, one prominent one, or an amalgam of all four. They decided to keep to the plurality of witnesses. I mean, what that shows is there is a rich diversity in the gospel. As you see in that screen, by the way, that screen shows um, a, a, an ivory uh, you know um, carving that was done in the in the medieval period okay so those actually four um, beings come from the book of revelation but those are not four gospels the book of revelation time when revelation is written at the end of the first century nobody knew that there were going to be four gospels so those are not representing though that became the tradition but you see in the middle of that image is, well, it's supposed to be a lamb. It's supposed to, uh, the lamb of God, Jesus, the lamb of God is uh, that. Uh, so the, they, there is beautiful diversity. They are not the same. There is no uniformity, but there is unity. So that's the beautiful thing about the four gospels. The four gospels, should be read differently. And when you're reading one gospel, don't ask the question, ah, why is it not mentioned here? For example, in the, uh, the birth narratives of Jesus, Matthew only mentions about the wise men coming. He doesn't talk about the shepherds. And Luke talks only about the shepherds. So we don't ask, ah, why is Matthew not mentioning shepherds? Why is Luke not mentioning? They are different. There is unity, but there is diversity. Now, I like to use this analogy. 
Okay, I know lunch, some of you have to work on lunch later on. Um, rice dishes. I have used this analogy before. There are many things you may like made of rice. Now, both the dishes I have put out there are actually made of rice. One is a biryani, as you can see. And um, I'll better quickly pass this thing, otherwise we will have distraction here. Some of us, I hope you had your breakfast. Uh, you also have rice noodles. But biryani, rice noodles, rice appam, sweet rice, payasam are all made of the same rice. But the way you cook it, it looks different, it tastes different. You don't mix these two things together. You don't mix your rice, payasam and biryani saying they are rice. Now, they have to be savored one after the other, separately. That's the point I'm trying to make, friends. Many Christians have not yet got the taste of any of the Gospels. Because in their head, they have mixed everything up. Let me tell you that each of these Gospels is beautiful and different. They are just as different as these two dishes in front of you. So what do we do? What we need to understand is the Gospel writers, and one way to refer to the Gospel writers is the word capital E evangelist. See, in our context, we use the word evangelist to say what? The one who preaches the gospel, right? But this is another way of talking about evangelists, those who write the gospel, okay? So, uh, because did you notice all the writers of the four gospels, they don't mention their name. And the names we have in our New Testament are because of tradition. So the evangelists, they are selective to suit their purpose. Just like I, as a preacher today, I would like to preach for 10 hours, if you're ready to listen. <laughs> but I cannot, I have to bring it down to a limited time, so I have to select what I have to say. And I have to arrange the material. So yesterday, I put my material in a certain way for this session. So did the writers of the gospel arrange it. They arranged it. Not God arranging it, okay? We can say God helped them. I can say God helped me. And they adapted their material. So some stories are put in slightly different ways. Now, very important here to, I may mention this. I don't have a slide for this. But we have said this earlier. The gospel of Mark was the first gospel to be written. This is the majority consensus. Not everybody agrees. Um, I know, I think in the GSOL material, my, one of my colleagues wrote it, and he, I think, put uh, uh, Matthew as the first gospel. That is a minority view. However, the majority view is that Mark was written first, and both Matthew and Luke used that as one of their resources, and they had other resources also. We know that. I'm not going into details of that. But this whole process, what we believe is, look at this uh, image of uh, a, a, conduct, a conductor who is conducting an orchestra. Here there are only few, uh, 12 uh, people playing instruments. But you could have an orchestra of 100 people, different instruments. And so in a sense, the writing of the scriptures, not just the New Testament, I would say, including the beautiful writings of the Old Testament. They are all written by God's people. We don't always know the background, etc., how all this was done. But they are written, and God orchestrates this whole complex process of remembrance, of tradition, passing it on, recording, rewriting, all this is part of God's message. Uh, all this is part of the, uh, of the writing of scripture. So that's what we need to remember. Now we come to the Gospel of Mark. What is the most important taste, if you want to call it, or characteristic of the Gospel of Mark? And for in the Gospel of Mark, Christ is shown as the suffering servant. That is the 
greatest emphasis in the Gospel of Mark. And if you want a, a key verse for the Gospel of Mark, and we will come to that uh, today in our, in our uh, looking at the Gospel, is the chapter 10 and verse 45. Chapter 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word many means all. Many times the word many is used like that. 1045. So we will come back to that. So this, remember this, this is one of the key ingredients or foci of the Gospel of Mark, or the central uh, focus of the Gospel of Mark. In other words, the readers of Mark are going to be reminded about this, that cross-bearing, suffering for Jesus, that is at the heart of the Christian faith. That's what the readers of Mark will be pushed towards. So he's telling the story of the Gospel in this way, that paying a price for following Jesus is the center of our faith. Not that we come to Jesus so that now we have a successful life or we have a very comfortable life or the best life ever now that we are following Jesus. That's not what Mark is trying to lead us into. Okay, and so keep that in mind. We are reminded about this. The central message of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. When you think of the four Gospels, think of the message of Jesus. What would you say is the central message of Jesus? Why don't you, if you have somebody sitting beside you, why don't you tell them, talk to them and tell them, I think the central message is uh, this. If you have somebody there, or speak to yourself. If you're alone, say, I think the central message is this. Whatever it is, share with somebody. Ask them, yes. Take a, take a 30 seconds. All right. It'll be interesting to know what you said was central message. And for that, Let's start reading Gospel of Mark. I have uh, requested Pastor Prem to assign a few readings to people so that we will all participate in this. Um, so I have uh, assigned uh, quite a bit of reading. And those who have been assigned by Pastor Prem, please go ahead, unmute yourself and read. So the first part that we read is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. So who's reading it? Please read. Okay. Yes. Somebody has to unmute uh, these people. Okay. Yeah. I think Rachel is asking to be unmuted. Somebody has to unmute her. Yeah. Okay. Hi, Pastor. This is Rachel. Hi. Chapter 10, 32 to 34. And 41. One minute. One minute. One minute. You are reading, yeah, I want whoever has been asked to read Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Who is reading 1, 14 to 15? Uh, Mark 1, 14 to 15. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and yeah. saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, please listen carefully. Gospel of Mark, the first words out of the mouth of Jesus. Remember this gospel will say in the beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. This is the good news. See, the gospel means good news. And by the way, friends, the way we preach the gospel, it should sound like good news, not bad news. Okay, and what is the good news? The good news is that, what did Jesus say? Hey, 
the kingdom of God has come. You were waiting for this, right? Finally, it has come. And so the good news or the central message of Jesus is not about love. Yes, we have to love God. Yes, we have to love our neighbor. It's not about heaven and hell. Yes, these are mentioned and we need to understand what they mean. It is about the kingdom of God. That means the kingdom of God. See, for many people, they mix up kingdom of God and because Matthew uses a parallel phrase, kingdom of heaven, they think, oh, we will go to the kingdom of God when we die. This is our Sunday school understanding, generally. When we are, if you believe in Jesus, let Jesus come into your heart, be a good uh, Christian, and at the end you will die and go to heaven. Now that, let me say, is not the gospel. <laughs> the gospel is, Jesus is saying, the time you were waiting for has come, is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has arrived. That means it has already begun. It has not come in its fullness. Remember, there was a diagram when we did the seminar in Luke, you may remember. And we will wait for the fullness of the kingdom when Jesus comes back to earth. But already the kingdom has arrived. And our job is when we hear this proclamation is to turn around. Repentance means to turn around. In the Hebrew, the word shuv, it's to turn around, for, uh, stop going in our own way and enter into the kingdom and believe this, believe, repent and believe. So this is the central message of Jesus. Now the next five verses we're going to read, I don't know who's been assigned, please read chapter 1, 16 to 20. Yeah. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now... What is the first thing Jesus says? He says, and so the message of Jesus is, come follow me. Where? Follow me in the kingdom. I'm going to show you how we are called to live in the kingdom. And one of the phrases in the gospel of Mark is, on the way. They were on the way. There are three, four places. It's beautiful. We don't have time to look at those passages. And even the Gospel of Mark begins with the teaching that the way from Isaiah, prepare the way for the Lord. And do you remember in the book of Acts, what were Christians called? People of the way, right? So Jesus is saying, come, follow me. And the disciples are now following him. Now, what is Jesus going to do? By the way, there is a beautiful, unique um, uh, metaphor that we find in the Gospel of Mark, which both Matthew and Luke also you know, uh, adopt into their uh, Gospels. And that is the image of a doctor. So in chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus will say, I have come like a doctor, and the doctor is needed for those who are sick. And I want to suggest that this is a very beautiful metaphor of sin. You and I and the whole world, we are, we have a disease. It's a chronic disease. And the treatment for a chronic disease is lifelong. And Jesus is the healer. He's a doctor. So he comes and heals us. 
That's a beautiful way to understand salvation. As God is healing us, and ultimately we'll be completely healed of this disease called sin. Jesus has come to take away the sin. Remember how Gospel of John says it? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the what? You can check it out in John. It's not sins of the world. It is sin altogether. Sin of the world. It's gone in Jesus. All right. Now, what did Jesus do when he called them? The next thing is the 12, especially, and the others. We read about that. He called them, it says, to be with him. And then he said, I will send you out. In some ways, you and I, friends, are called by Jesus. This morning, we are all in our own homes. We are all in our different situations in life. All of us are going through our own challenges. Life is not easy for many of us. There are many questions. There are many anxieties. There are many challenges. There is pain. There are tears. In the midst of that, Jesus is calling us to be with him. And as we are with him, he will send us out. Meaning, sometimes now we cannot go out very far, but still we are in contact with people. And our relationships, our neighbors, our people in our workplaces or in school or whatever, in our families, our relatives, people on our social media contacts, Jesus is sending us to them to bring this healing that he has come to bring. Now, I, this is not my main point, but I quickly want to go through this with you. There are three boat scenes in the Gospel of Mark. And I give you the references. Please don't look at it now. You can look at it later if you wish. They are in chapter 4 and 6 and eight. Now in each of these boat scenes, one thing you realize, if you're reading the Gospel of Mark, that the disciples don't pass the final exam. They don't make the grade. Till the very end, they don't make it. They don't pass. Only thing is, when if you're a reader of the Gospel of Mark, you know by that time, Peter was a great apostle. And uh, all the other disciples did well. So, but when you read the gospel, they are all failing. They are all, they have to apply, uh, they have to do the supplementary exam. Every one of them. And one of the things you will find is, Jesus has to keep rebuking, when in this uh, storm uh, image that you are seeing, he rebukes the nature, but he also rebukes his disciples. So the disciples miserably fail in the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you are a reader of the Gospel of Mark, will that encourage you or discourage you? Well, for me, when I fail many times, I fail even my own expectations, I get encouraged to see, okay, I'm not the only one failing. There are others who have failed. The disciples of Jesus didn't get it. And therefore, we will be encouraged. But they made it. They made it. They failed, but they made it. And so, this is very important. So, uh, I like to use the word, they missed the boat. <laughs> the disciples, they are at sea. Another English idiom to say they, they are lost. That's how the stories are in the Gospel of Mark, if you're reading them. All right, now we come to a very interesting passage. I'm going to read blocks of these passages, and I want you to notice how they are connected. See, the problem when we read the Bible, one verse here and one verse there, is somebody said, I can do all things through a verse that is taken out of context. <laughs> So if you want to say whatever you want to say, you can just pull out one Bible verse. I can do all things through a verse out of context. So that's not the way the Bible has to be used. That is a misuse of the Bible. So how do we read the Bible? Well, read the Bible the way it was given to us. That is book by book. 
So that's why we are reading Mark's gospel. Now, we are going to read chapter 8, some sections, and I invite you to come open your Bible and follow. So uh, the first person is going to read chapter 8, not first person, next person is going to read chapter 8, verses 17 to 21. 8, 17 to 21. Uh, and Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason? Because you have no bread. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember, when I broke the five loads for the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And when I broke up, broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take? And they said seven. So he said to them, how is it you understand? Did you notice, if you look carefully, you will find there are eight questions. All, like, like machine gun fire, Jesus is firing eight questions at them. All of them, one by one, one by one, one by one. And if you put all these questions, I put an equal to sign there. They are all the same question, actually. Are you guys blind? Remember, it says, do you have eyes to see but cannot see? So Jesus is speaking to his disciples, saying, are you blind? Now, let us come to the next story, okay? This is the way to read the Bible, as a narrative. What is the next story that we have? Yes, somebody can read chapter 8, 22 to 26. Yeah. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he, spat, when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. All right. I want you to think about this story. This story is not found anywhere else except in, in the Gospel of um, in the Gospel of Mark. Only in the Gospel of Mark. All right. There is something different about this story. It's a healing of a blind man, but this story is not found elsewhere. Did you notice that Jesus has to Pray for him twice, lay hands on him twice. That's not happened elsewhere. You know, he doesn't have to even raising the dead say, okay, come out. Oh, he didn't come out. I'll try again. No. But in this story, when he touches the man, blind man once, what happens? He says, yes, I can see. Uh, but not clearly. Not clearly. Then Jesus touches him again. And then he says, I can see. So what is this all about? This is, I'm going to try doing this. Let's see if I can go back to my slide. Am I able to share it? Hmm. I'm trying to share my slide. Next slide. Ah, I've got it. All right. Can you see it? All right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Now suddenly my screen, I can't see any of you. So, <laughs> so let's see. No. So, can you see me? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. For some reason, my screen, I only see my slide. I can't see any of you. It's okay. I have to believe you are there. Uh, the miracle becomes a parabolic commentary on the disciples' blindness. Did you notice what Jesus asked the disciples just before this story? He basically asked them through eight questions, the basic question, are you blind? And the next story, and this is not a random uh, you know, thing that Mark has done. He has purposely told this story and is saying, see this blind man, he is healed in stages. So in the same way, a parabolic commentary meaning the, this healing is like the healing of the disciples. Their understanding of Jesus, their understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is going to change. All right? So this is going to be the miracle that is going to happen. That they will grow slowly and begin to understand. So we come to the next story. And the next story is chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. Can we read that, please? Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Okay. Basically, Jesus is asking them, Are you, who, who do you say I am? And what do they say? You are the Messiah. Now, is that the right answer? Yeah, right answer. So is Peter, can he see? Yes, it looks like he can see. But there is a problem. Let's go to the next passage. By the way, did you notice what Jesus tells Peter? He warns him and tells him not to tell anybody else. Not to tell anybody else. Let me see if I can come back and share my screen. Uh, yeah. Can you see that now on the screen? Yeah, okay. On the screen, yeah. It's okay if you don't see me. Uh, you know, that's all right. You have seen me before. So, this is Jesus, you are the Messiah. But, what's the next thing? Chapter 8, verse 27, uh, sorry, uh, 8, verse 31 and 32. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Did you notice what it happens? Jesus is just now asked Peter, who do you say I am? What did Peter say? Give the right answer. Now, if you are in school, you are in kindergarten, you get the right answer, your teacher will say, very good, shabash, well done. But here, did you notice Jesus tells Peter, shut up. Don't tell anybody yet. Why? If Jesus, the Messiah, is the right answer, why not tell the world? The reason is, you don't know what you are talking about, Peter, yet. You cannot see clearly. You are like that blind man who can see something, but not very... Yeah, you can see Jesus is the Messiah, but he cannot see clearly. So here comes the... Uh, your screen sharing, and can I go to the next screen? Can you see that now? Okay. Basically, what Jesus is teaching Peter is, I am not the Messiah your grandmother told you about. I am a different Messiah. 
you have not understood the Messiah yet. You are waiting. Did you notice what Peter did the moment Jesus told him, I am going to suffer? Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Did you see that? Peter is rebuking Jesus. Why? Because from childhood he has heard about the Messiah. He knows who the Messiah is. I mean, when you have learned something all your life, it's not easy to give it up. And you will even rebuke your Jesus for that. <laughs> even if Jesus tells you, you will not believe him. Isn't that interesting? That is the power of what we have learned. That is why we have to constantly read scripture to understand what is happening. And so, the, this is what is called the passion predictions. There are three passion predictions in the Gospel of Mark. They are found in chapter 8 and 9 and 10. They are found in 8, 9, 31. Then they will be found in 9, 30, uh, 8 and 31, 9, 30, and then 10, 32. Now, what is the main point here? That Jesus is a suffering Messiah. Now, if Jesus is the suffering Messiah, what about us? What about us? We are to follow this Jesus, who is a suffering Messiah. What about us? If we are to follow him, are we going to have a life where we don't pay a price? Life where everything is abundance, life is perfect, and we, there is no cost involved, there is no pain involved. Well, Jesus has not said that. Gospel of Mark is not going to say that. Book of Acts is not going to say that. And reading the letters of Paul is not going to say that. What we are going to see is that following this Messiah involves the same. Remember in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 15, God, the Lord Jesus speaks to Ananias. Ananias, go and pray for this man. And Ananias is telling the Lord, like many times we also do in our prayer. In our prayer, we inform God. We tell him, Lord, as you know, Basically, it is to tell all the people around us that in case they did not know, they should know. We tell God. So Ananias also tells Jesus, Lord, that man is a very bad man. Jesus says, is that so? <laughs> so Jesus says, listen, I have called him, chosen him. He is going to speak for me all around the world to kings and authorities. But the next verse, Acts 9.16 says, and I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. There is some clear teaching in scripture that anyone who really wants to follow this Jesus of Nazareth, if he wants to go on his path, he says, come, follow me. That's what Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark. Come, follow me. And he is a suffering Messiah. How do we expect not to pay a price to be a Christian? Now, what that means is different for different ones. What it means to you, my dear brother, sister, will be different from what it means to me. But there is a price to pay to follow Jesus. Always, always. And it is a price that somehow is linked in the mystery of the gospel. That somehow, to bring about the kingdom, there is a price to be paid. Like Jesus, we also have to pay our price. Now, we look at the second passion prediction. This is found in chapter 9 and verse 30 to 37. Somebody has been asked to do that. Please read that. Acts chapter 9. 30 to 30, sorry, not Acts, Mark chapter 9, 30 to 37. I said there are three passion predictions, 8, 9, and 10 chapters. Okay, so now we look at the second one. Aksha. 
Yes, Uncle, I was unmuted now. Thank you. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Thank you. Now I want you to look at that when you have time, look at it again. When the moment Jesus is telling them that I am going to suffer, the disciples don't understand. And then, soon after that, the story says, they are walking on the way to a village, Capernaum. On the way, they are arguing. And Jesus, very wisely, doesn't want to stop on the way to stop them and ask them, hey, guys, what, what are you fighting about? He hears it, he keeps going, they follow him, they reach the house, wherever they were, whoever it is, whose house they are staying in, and then the lady of the house or someone goes and makes the tea for them, and they all finish tea, they are a little revived, and suddenly Jesus turns around and says, okay guys, what were you guys arguing about on the road? Did you notice the way on the way? That is one of those beautiful places where it says, on the way, when you're following me, what were you arguing about? And what did they say? What does the text say? Kept quiet. They didn't say anything. You know, sometimes when we know we are caught, we are in trouble, we just keep quiet. That is wise rather than making it up. And they kept quiet. Why? What does the text say? Because... They were playing the children's game. You know, what do children play? Who is the winner? I am the winner. I am the winner. You are the loser. You are the loser. We want to be the winner. Other person should let them be the loser. And you know what we used to do sometimes? Playing that snake and, uh, what is that? Snake and ladders game. Remember that game? And you keep moving around and when suddenly we're about to reach the top, one snake will bite us and we come down. And what happens? You lose and the other person is winning. What do you do? Okay, maybe you didn't do it. I think I have done it at least a couple of times. What do you do? You throw the whole thing up. <laughs> no, you're all cheating. Yeah, and you, because you don't want to lose. This childish game of wanting to win, and I don't mind others losing. I must win. I have to be greater than you. As we keep growing, we don't give that game up. These are grown-up men. They are playing the same children's game. Who is the greatest? Let me say this. Christians also play the game. Here we are reading about followers of Jesus. That, by the way, is me and you. We are also still playing that game. Sometimes in a family, two people, sometimes two brothers, three brothers and sisters, whatever, we may play this game. Which of us has more than the other? Which of us is doing better than the other? Our children are better than your children. Something or the other. Oh, what about us pastors? <laughs> That's quite a temptation for pastors. Sometimes pastor will ask, how many people are there in his church? Hmm. 
because then we feel good. My church has more people than your church. Or some way or the other, we check whether I am greater than the other. This is the game we human beings play. And one way we do it in, in our histories is, I am greater than you and I will show you right now. So wars take place. We go and destroy nations. We cut off people's heads. Now we don't cut off people, we shoot them. Or we nuke them. This game is the game that is destroying us human beings. We have created our own hell. God doesn't have to do anything. Who is the greatest? And what does Jesus say? I want you to learn that the greatest is not like that. Look at this child. Brings a child between them. Now, we come to the third passion prediction, and I must finish in the next five, ten minutes. Uh, third passion prediction is in chapter 10. Turn to chapter 10, and um, verses 32 to 34. Chapter 10, 32 to 34. Mark chapter 10, 32 to 34. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus By the way, did you notice that uh, on the road, on the way, that's the same phrase. They were on the way, yeah. Going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was going before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Okay, so this is what is called the third passion prediction. Okay, and he says... The Son of Man will be condemned. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. But then, three days later, he will rise. Okay. Now, the next story that comes after that is very interesting. Soon after that, please remember, when Mark is writing this gospel, there is no division between those verses. First of all, there is no chapter 10 also when Mark is writing. You must remember that. Chapter divisions came only in the 13th century, remind you again. And worse divisions, there were no worse divisions either. Right? So, and in my Bible, for example, there is a space, then there is a headline, the request of James and John, and in block letters. Please remember, there is nothing like that in the original. Jesus says, this is going to happen to me. And the next question, the very next question is, James and John, sons of Zebedee, wonderful guys, quietly come to Jesus and they say, like children, no, they come to mommy and daddy and say, daddy, 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 can you promise me you'll give me what I ask you? And then the daddy will say, Are Baba, please tell me what you want. Then I can tell you whether I can give you. No, 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 you first promise you'll give me. You can give me. Daddy says, okay, 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 tell me. Now, what is the question they ask? Jesus, in your glory, no? The privilege when you give, no? Can you give my brother and me also, both of us, the best privileges? I want personal privilege because I'm a follower of Jesus. Interesting. Let's say I'm going in a flight and uh, I'm traveling with a friend of mine and uh, I'm in economy class. And for some reason, randomly, I'm chosen to come to the first class. I've never been chosen. I know some of my friends got this kind of privilege. God bless them. I'm fine. I still reach my destination in economy class also. Okay. But when I get this, somebody comes and says, Oh, you are chosen. Why don't I say, you know what? This friend of mine has never flown or this person, uh, an older person, you know, why not give him the chance? No, personal privilege. We usually think about ourselves. 
It's not easy to think about the other. And what does Jesus say? Now let us read verses 41 to 45. Chapter 10, verses 41 to 45. Yes. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to... One him. minute, one minute. Hold, hold on, Rachel. The, the thing here is, these people had quietly come to Jesus in this story. Right? But somehow... The others also got to hear it. That these two fellows quietly went to Jesus and are asking for privileges. So they get angry. Why? Because, like, what about us? Hey, they could have said, hey, let James and John have it, man. It's all right. No. They are saying, oh, you fellows want. What about us? And then they got angry with them. But what did Jesus say? Yes, please read. Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be the first shall be slave of all. And even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I'm trying to share my next screen. Has this come on? Yes, Pastor. Can you see the foot washing there? Yes, Pastor. Yeah. The one who serves is the greatest. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that if we go through this world seeking only personal privilege rather than find ways to serve others, the world wants to live in a certain way, but the kingdom, and by the way, the kingdom is brought about by the king. God is king. And in Jesus, God is saying, in my kingdom, this is the way we rule. All right, he's the king. How does he rule? He rules by serving. Let me take you back to the very first page of the Bible. Genesis 1. When humans were created, they were given the task to rule. But the problem for us is ruling means I'm the boss. I call the shots. People carry my briefcase. No. The ruler, God is the example of the ruler. How does God rule? He serves. How does in the kingdom, how do we rule in the kingdom? Jesus, the king, showed us he washed the feet of his own disciples. Now, that is so radical that Peter says, sorry, you can't be touching my feet and washing my feet. Only people who are lower than me have washed my feet, the servants in the houses. But Jesus says, no, that's your world. But let me tell you, in the kingdom, it's a different world. And therefore, he says, you wash the feet of disciples. The greatest is a servant. So what is following after this Jesus? What is it following after Jesus? This is it. Following Jesus is denying self. Cross-bearing. And being a servant. That is following Jesus where I'm not looking at my own privileges all the time. And so even Jesus, my worship, my prayer, my fasting, my giving is somehow must bless me. If I pray more, I will get more blessed. If I give more, I sow because I will reap. I mean, everything is focused on me. And the, and the master, the king is saying, that's not the kingdom. In the kingdom, it's about being a servant of the other. Now, that's not easy. We were not 
taught like that. As children, we did not grow up learning that the greatest is a servant. In fact, many of us in our middle-class families, we use the word servant in a very, very different way. You know, I have heard people say, oh, nowadays, very difficult to get servants. Nowadays, those servants, oh, and they come with their mobile phone. Yeah. They are going from one house to the other. We don't like it. And very often, we don't think of them. And we don't give them what they, we should be giving them. We are grown up with the, yes, I am, I can afford my servants. And so I have the right to it and I'm going to enjoy it as many as I can because I have the money. But in the kingdom, friends, and I believe in, in the age to come, when the new heaven and new earth come together again, that is the last two chapters of the Bible. The first two chapters of the Bible talk about the heaven and earth. God made the heaven and the earth. Last two chapters of the Bible, again you have heaven and earth coming together. In those, in that heaven and earth. If we don't learn this lesson, maybe we will have to learn it there. <laughs> I don't know everything about what's going to be in the future. But if it is a continuation of this kingdom, of this king, the king who came to die for others, give his life for others, be a servant. The son of man did not come to serve, but to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, in my kingdom, the servant is the greatest. I want you to follow me, Jesus says. Friends, you and I, we too have been marked out to follow this servant Messiah. I'm using the word marked out from the Gospel of Mark. We are called to be following this servant Messiah. That is discipleship. Following Jesus. Learning from Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, the Gospel of Mark is saying it is to become the servant of others. Maybe when you want to take time today to meditate on these passages, read it again. Read those three passion predictions. Just see how the disciples don't get it. All three times, disciples don't get it. You know? All three times, the disciples don't get it. But Jesus doesn't throw them away because we know what happened after with these disciples. They got it, finally. They struggled, but they got it. Peter gave his life happily. Many other disciples, they died for the Lord Jesus and continue. The, the line of great Markan disciples continues through the world. People who gave up their life to serve others. I'm reminded of this wonderful Irish lady who came to India to serve. And finally, she was in Tamil Nadu in a place called Dornavur. Amy Carmichael. She gave a life. She never went back to Ireland to serve those children. She became the mother to those children. Hundreds of children she served. And do you know, read about her. Towards the end of her life, she was bedridden. She was bedridden for many years. And from that bed, she ran the, the home for children. And when she died, all she wanted on her tombstone was one word. And that's what they put anyway. Amma. That's all. Amma. We are called to follow this king. And Jesus clearly says, I am not like the kings of this world who only look for their personal privilege. And they don't care if they exploit others to get privilege for them. That's the kings. You know, whether it is King David or any king. King David is a wonderful example of that. I mean, there are many beautiful things about King David, but 
even when he had so many women around him, his own women who you could buy as a wife or whatever, he still wanted somebody else's wife. Because he's a king, he can do whatever he wants. Of course, God doesn't allow him and, and he breaks his legs. From then, King David basically limped all his life. But this son of David, Jesus, is so different from that David. He, for his bride, gives his life. You and I are like his bride. We are followers of Jesus. And we must learn from him, not from this world. What is kingship? What is being life in the kingdom? We must learn from the king, not from other so-called kings. We have to be careful who we imitate in the Christian world. Be careful who you listen to all the time in the Christian world. Which preachers you like to listen to. I'm sure you can learn a lot of things from many people. Nobody is perfect. However, are they following this king? Does their life show that they are following this king? The one who teaches us, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Thank you, friends. Thank you for the privilege of being with you this morning. I really feel like I'm there with you. I know this is virtual, but in some ways, it's not the perfect, but thank you for the privilege. Thank you, Pastor Abraham. Thank you, Pastor Prem. Thank you, Pastor Sunny, and all you dear friends. Uh, God bless you. I want you to meditate on this, and if you have a little more time, another chapter I would like you to meditate on is Philippians chapter 2, where it teaches us how to be followers of this King. Amen. Lord bless you.